Well, good morning. My name's Barry Hammond. Uh, I'm a community chaplain. I'm also uh, an attendee at the 8 o'clock and the 10 o'clock services. It's my privilege to read these verses from the Word of God to you. There's two readings. The first one is from John chapter 13, verses 1 to 11, and then I'll introduce the next one when I get to it. It was just about, it was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you will never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you will have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said, Not everyone was clean. The second reading is from Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 to 11. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Here ends the reading. Hello. Yeah. Okay. Uh, thanks for those extraordinary readings. Um, do uh, take the Q&A number down, uh, if you can, um, because I love uh, Q&A. Uh, at least normally, sometimes it's a little bit tricky, 
some years ago, I was giving a lecture at the University of Western Sydney on the topic of last week's sermon. Um, the amazing idea that uh, Christians said that Jesus was not just a human being, a prophet, a teacher, but he was God. And I asked the uh, lecture hall to just ponder the amazing uh, truth that the Christians used to preach, uh, that, that Jesus went to the cross and that that's Christianity's picture of God. Um, and when the chairman got up and opened it to Q&A, like I would normally do, this gentleman uh, shot to his feet. He was beautifully dressed and very polite and articulate, and he proceeded to spend, I don't know, five or six minutes uh, telling everyone in the hall uh, how preposterous everything I had just said really was. It was completely illogical uh, to associate um, divinity with this kind of uh, weakness. Um, it turns out he was an academic at the university, and um, he was also a Muslim leader. And uh, he was clear that the Christian idea of Jesus being God and going to a cross uh, was illogical because it would lead to such ridiculous thoughts as God having to eat food. He even said, are you really saying that God went to the toilet? And of course, the murmur in the room was quite dramatic. And more than that, he said um, that everything I'd said was a blasphemy, because I was daring to associate the majesty of God with weakness and even suffering. It was only later I realized he was pretty much quoting the Quran, his uh, holy book, which is very clear about this idea. They do blaspheme who say God is Christ, the Son of Mary. Well, that's the Christians. Christ, the Son of Mary, was no more than an apostle. His mother was a woman of truth. They both had to eat their daily food, see how God makes his signs clear to them, yet see in what ways they, the Christians, are deluded. Uh, I went backwards and forwards uh, with this man in, in front of the very nervous audience, um, but it was clear there was not going to be a winner in this little public debate, because our premises were miles apart. Um, his vision of the majesty of God excluded by definition any notion of weakness. Uh, my vision of the majesty of God uh, consisted precisely in God's willingness to uh, suffer and serve. And so, in the end, all I could do is thank the man for drawing the audience's attention to the stark difference between Islam and Christianity. What is a blasphemy in Islam is really the heartbeat of the Christian faith, that God did enter the world to serve and to suffer. And the two passages that we've just heard read to us are probably the clearest in the Bible about uh, precisely uh, this theme. The first one, uh, Philippians chapter 2, is regarded as an early hymn which the Apostle Paul has placed in his letter to the Philippians. Uh, here are my Bibles, uh, the English one and uh, the original Greek language, and you can see that um, in this passage they indent those particular lines and put them in stanzas because uh, they have the sound of a poem or a hymn to Christ 
as God. And I said last week, if, if you were there, that singing hymns to Christ as God was such a big deal in early Christianity, it even rated a mention in some correspondence between a Roman governor, Pliny, and the emperor Trajan. Pliny describes to Trajan what he has found out about the Christians. Uh, you might remember this quote from last week, the sum total of their guilt or error amounted to no more than this. They, the Christians, met regularly before dawn on a determined day and sang antiphonally, in turns, a hymn to Christ as God. Well, Philippians chapter 2 appears to be one such hymn. Here's the interesting thing. This hymn to Christ as God could equally be described as a hymn to Christ as the servant. The language is clear. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, and then comes the hymn. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness, and on it goes. You can see, can't you, why the Romans and later the Muslims would have such a problem with this idea. The hymn um, seems to diminish the majesty of God by associating God's majesty with servitude. Uh, the contrast is shocking and, and I think deliberate. Look at, look at the way the hymn in verse 6 and 7 makes this incredible contrast. Jesus is in very nature God and then it says in verse 7, He was in very nature of a servant. Or consider this contrast. Uh, Jesus had equality with God but the the last line of this first stanza ends with death on a cross. So think about this, equality with God, death on a cross. The most extraordinary thing about this hymn isn't that Christians could say that Jesus is God. The most extraordinary thing really is that they could say in the same breath, in one stanza, God, cross. God, cross. True majesty is seen in his willingness to sacrifice and serve. Now, this is a unique moment in the history of ideas. And because in every culture we know of, divinity is always associated with power and judgment and glory honor and, and so on, never are the gods associated with humility and service. Never. In fact, humility wasn't even a virtue of our social ethics among equals in the ancient world, let alone a quality of God Himself. Humility in Greek and Roman ethics would be a degrading thing to put yourself down to a level that you were not born to or that your standing in life did not require you to be in was disgraceful and debasing. There was no virtue in it at all. To hear that a Messiah, a great king, 
uh, a, an important person was crucified, well, it would be nonsense to the Greek or the Roman ear. It couldn't make sense of it. In fact, Roman citizens were not crucified for that very reason. It was just so shameful. So for the gospel message to proclaim a crucified Lord, it, it upended the value system that the Romans held. Uh, this hymn upended the values that the Romans held. But actually, uh, this hymn has a remarkable resonance with the other passage that was read to us today, the passage from John 13, where Jesus famously washes his disciples' feet. And the resonance between the hymn and this passage isn't just um, that they both touch on the servant theme, it's the way they put in juxtaposition divine authority and servanthood. Um, notice how John introduces the scene of Jesus washing his disciples' feet. I think the wording is uh, clearly making a point. Uh, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So, just pause there. Pretend you've never heard what comes next, right? Jesus has all the authority of God. So, so what? So he got up and gave a miracle? No. So he got up and does, uh, explained to his disciples his plan for world domination since he is, you know, has all the authority of God? No, of course not. He has all that authority, so we're told, he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. This sounds very much like the hymn the Christians would very soon sing, in very nature God, very nature of a servant. And this is so shocking uh, dare I say, illogical, even blasphemous, that Peter tries to stop Jesus from washing his feet. Good old Peter is always the first to put his foot in his mouth, and this is no exception. Uh, Jesus came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand, presumably after the death and resurrection. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Well, to get inside Peter's head, imagine the one you revere as the Lord of all, coming to you one day and doing what you'd only ever seen a household servant do take off his robe, wrap a towel around his waist, get on his hands and knees, and without gimmick or guile, wash and dry your feet. But the scene will become more shocking still because this scene of the foot washing points beyond itself. It points really to Jesus arrest and torture and crucifixion and final breath. This foot washing servant idea really forecasts what will happen the very next day. 
that Jesus will be shamed on a cross for our salvation. For our salvation. That's why Jesus adds to Peter these uh, potent words. Jesus answered him, Unless I wash you, you have no part of me. See, the, the foot washing foreshadows the cleansing that will take place because of Jesus' death on a cross. These two scenes, the foot washing and the cross the next day, are intimately connected. Jesus regularly taught that every one of us will be held accountable for our lack of love for human beings and for God, for our lack of humility before God and human beings. And that our only hope is for Him to wash us clean because He on the cross would take our punishment. He served us, not just as an example for us to follow, but as our salvation. And in another passage from a different gospel, we find exactly the same theme from Jesus' lips. Mark 10. Jesus said, For even the Son of Man, that's His way of referring to Himself, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. This is why Jesus came, to serve, to suffer for our salvation. My mate Ben Shaw, in his new book, tells an extraordinary contemporary example of humble self-sacrifice. Now, obviously, no comparison can capture the depths of the mystery of Christ's suffering and death. But the story Ben tells is, I find, moving. Melbourne woman, Kimberly Deer, was fulfilling a life's dream when she uh, took off in a little plane to do skydiving in uh, St. Louis in Missouri. She'd had her on-the-ground instruction, and uh, she was taken up into the air for her first jump, seated next to her instructor, Robert Cook. Shortly after takeoff, uh, there was a loud bang, the engines cut, and the plane started careering toward the ground. Robert Cook quickly explained to Kimberly Deer what was about to happen, and I quote, As the plane is about to hit the ground, make sure you are on top of me so I take the force of the impact. They crashed. Several killed, including Robert Cook. Kimberly survived, and from her hospital bed, she told reporters that in the final seconds, Cook swiveled his body into position, pushed my head against his shoulder to cushion the blow. She led him, she trusted him, and she lived. Robert Cook was posthumously uh, awarded a bravery medal, completely understandably. 
But if you can, try and remove that dramatic example of human self-sacrifice and replace it with the image of Jesus on a cross. And here's how my mate Ben concludes that story. The main message of Christianity is that God came in human form ultimately to be a substitute for us. On the cross, all our debt, punishment and shame was set upon Christ, allowing us to be fully exempt. Christ came to cushion the blow that we all really deserve. In effect, he laid down his own life to save ours. Not just one life for another, but his life for any of us who are willing to be cushioned by him. For any of us who are willing to be cushioned by him. We must let him. We must trust him to be our rescue, to be our cleansing. After all, Jesus said, unless I wash you, you have no part of me. I've got to ask, will you push Christ away? As Peter initially did. Or will you let him wash you? By trusting him. Trusting that his perfect life was given for us on the cross. Um, It's entirely possible that some listening now are unwilling to take even a first step until you've had every question answered. Um, you know, you've, you've got doubts about, you know, these four things and until you, that's all resolved, I'm not going to take one step toward Christianity. The thing is, that might be a great approach to, say, buying a house or making some big investment, cross every T, dot every I, but it's not the way to approach relationships. And Christianity is far more like a relationship than a business venture. Relationships work by taking small steps in the right direction and seeing what comes back. And if it's positive, you take another step and another and so on. And so if that's you, I just want to say, why not consider joining a group here at St. Matthew's Manly? Uh, reading one of the Gospels, or even shooting up a prayer, even a prayer of half faith. God, if you're there, show yourself to me. You don't have to take a giant leap into the dark, just one step in the right direction and see what comes back. On the other hand, uh, perhaps you've taken every step except the last one. You know, you've been hanging around church for years. You've heard all this stuff before. You half believe it all. But you're still keeping Christ at bay. You're still a spectator. You've never said, Christ, wash me. I trust you. So if that's you, why not take this last step? Lord, will you please give 
each one of us a clarity about you. And Lord, help us to think clearly about ourselves, our own motivations, our own preconceptions. Lord, for those who haven't taken any step, I just pray that you give them the wisdom to know what little step they can take. And Lord, especially for those who have taken every step but the last. Oh Lord, open their hearts. Grant them the grace to trust you, knowing that you, in Jesus Christ, will cleanse them. Amen. Thanks. Amen. What a great prayer. So much good in there. I can't wait for the questions. Um, references you made, the riveting and eye-opening um, reading from the Quran, um, the plenty reference, the hymn to Christ as servant and that unique moment we find in Philippians 2, the fresh eyes you've given us on John 13 where God with skin on starts washing feet. Let's see. First questions. Is God as servant an idea found in the Old Testament, or is it just introduced with the Incarnation? I think once you read it in the Gospel, you begin to see it back in the Old Testament. So it is there in the Old Testament, like so many ideas, they're there just in hint. And once you see the full thing, you, you read back the Old Testament and you go, oh, of course. The Gospel is like lenses you put on and you, you see things perfectly clearly. So um, there are lots of passages about God being wounded by our sins, that God isn't just a judge, he longs to forgive, and he's like a wounded lover. This is the Old Testament, right? And then in Isaiah 53, you get this reference to a mysterious servant who um, is over all kings of the earth, and yet comes and suffers and dies on behalf of others, Isaiah 53. Um, so you could just skip over that passage, but, but once you know the gospel, you read it as, as a kind of key that unlocks the whole thing. Oh, that's fantastic. That's the thing that gets me really excited about the gospel and the Bible. It's almost like a flying the length of a country and seeing landscapes change as you go, and you see the thread going through. It's amazing, amazing, yeah. amazing, exciting stuff. Thanks for that. Is Jesus really our only hope? Is there no other way to be friends with God? It is a good question and, you know, it's a confronting one in a culture where, um, you know, we're confronted with people who don't believe and people who believe different things. But of course, that, that was also the case in the first century, in the, New, in the New Testament times. There were multiple religions. In fact, religion uh, was far more um, uh, prominent and public um, in the ancient world than it is today. And so, people had all their different shrines, the different gods and so on. And yet, in this context, the Jesus of the Gospels still said repeatedly that he is the only door into the Father's house. And um, in so many different passages and different ways across the different Gospels, he says the same thing. And one of the most clear is the one I reflected on last week. It's from John uh, chapter 14, um, where Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life no one comes to the Father except through me. That's pretty clear, right? Um, so it, it, it just, for me, it comes down to 
Uh, not making a decision about this topic based on my emotions, uh, but I find myself trusting in Jesus. So that, that means I trust what he said. When he said no one comes to the Father except through him, I, I trust him. So my answer is, um, yes, Jesus is our only hope. Got to trust in him. So, especially towards the end of your talk there today, there would be people that would be really stirred. Um, I love the way you described it as you're not going to necessarily have all your questions answered, but just take that first step in a relationship and see what comes back. And so what, what does it look like? If there's someone sitting there listening to this, wherever they are in the world, what does it mean to be a Christian? If they want to take that step, what does it mean to be a Christian? If they want to take that final step? Um, the, the simplest way to think of it is, um, do you trust the Jesus whose life, death, and resurrection are told in the Gospels? Do you trust him? Do you read this and go, yes, I trust him. Um, and if you do, then, and, and you never have done so, verbalize it, just like you would in a, a relationship. So much in a relationship takes place, so many of the great moments take place mm. by verbalizing how you, how you think, how you feel toward that person. And so um, I, I genuinely would say um, that last step might involve telling Christ that you trust him as your only hope. You, you know you are not clean. As Jesus said in that passage, not everyone is clean, right? And Peter initially pushed Jesus away. Don't, don't wash my feet. And then um, Jesus says, well, you have no part of me then. And he goes, ah, well, wash, wash, wash my head and my hands too. And Jesus says, no, 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 it doesn't work like that. Um, but but that, that trust in Peter, I, I, whatever you want, Jesus, is, is what I'll do. Um, and I think that's the step you take. If you trust him, tell him that you trust him. And that's the moment you become a Christian. Well, why don't we do, do that now and then? Um, I'm going to try and give you a really easy opportunity to step into this two-way relationship, this two-way relationship with Christ. And we're just going to do that in the form of a really simple prayer that covers it all. Um, if you feel that you are at a point where you want to take that last step, it's not that scary. It is just you saying, God, I want to step into a relationship with you today, a two-way relationship where I can talk to you, where I can tell you what I feel, where I can give you my, my worries, um, anything that's on my heart. So if you want to take that next step, why don't you pray? I'm going to quickly read this prayer, and then I'm going to give you an opportunity wherever you are to pray it with me. So it goes, dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I turn from my sins and invite you to come into my heart and life. I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and Savior in your name. Amen. That's the prayer we're going to pray. It's the very simple acknowledgement if you want to step into this relationship. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I turn from my sins and I invite you to come into my heart and into my life. I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and Savior. In your name, amen. Now listen, if you prayed that prayer right now, maybe for the first time, 
I want to tell you that God heard you and you are now part of the family. So welcome. And if you prayed that prayer and you want someone to get in touch with you, why don't you let us know? Let us know on the number that was on the screen. Let us know via the Connect Card link in the description. Maybe you just want to chat to someone about what the next steps might be like or what look like to connect into our community here at St. Matt's. We can still connect in the most wonderful ways even during lockdown. So why don't you suss it out? You might just want a Bible sent to you. John suggested one of the steps might be just to start reading through the Gospels. That was life-changing for me. That was life-changing for many people I know in those first few steps in this new exciting journey. We are so excited that you've taken the step. Um, so please get in touch if that was you. We are just going to finish now with one more song and then I'll be back up here.